Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. This is People Every Day. Coming up, Naomi Osaka breaks her silence and shares her story. Plus, Blast from the Past Olympians Michelle Kwan and Lolo Jones reflect on the games then and now. It's July 8th. Well, hello there. This is People Every Day, and I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein. It is Thursday, and if you can sense my excitement, it's actually my husband's birthday today, so I'm looking forward to celebrating him with a fabulous kid-free dinner date tonight. I love you, Doug. Uh, Now, someone who is famously not kid-free... Nick Cannon. Yes, he finally addressed his four babies by three women in one calendar year situation. The mass singer host and dad of seven now told City Girls rapper JT on his radio show that he's, quote, having these kids on purpose and further elaborated, saying, trust me, there's a lot of people that I could have gotten pregnant that I didn't. And the ones that got pregnant are the ones that were supposed to get pregnant. So there you have it. He's a man with a plan. I don't know what that plan is, but he does. So more power to him. All right. Enough about procreation. Let's talk pro sports (laughs) like that. Today's show is all about the Olympics. We are mere weeks away from Tokyo. And today we'll get into the latest news and some past Olympics nostalgia. Later in the show, my colleague Adam Carlson sits down with figure skating legend Michelle Kwan, who talks about her years in the Olympic spotlight and her take on the games now. And also we hear from hurdler turned bobsledder Lolo Jones. So stick around for that. Now, though, People's Sports Editor Lindsay Kimball is on with me to get into the news surrounding this year's competitors, including Japan's Naomi Osaka, who's opening up. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Are you packed? I have not packed yet, uh, though a big Amazon box just came for me with all of my like portable fan and reusable charger (laughs) bug spray. Apparently it's very humid in Tokyo this time of year. So I am prepped for all possible (laughs) weather conditions. Nice. And no, we are not talking vacation, guys. Lindsay is gearing up to head out to Tokyo for us to cover the games for people. And we are so excited for her. And we're going to get into all of that behind the scenes stuff. But let's talk Naomi Osaka and this new Time Magazine essay that she wrote, just really kind of opening up about everything that happened and what she's been going through. Yeah, this is the first time we've heard from Naomi since uh, she dropped out of the French Open, citing her mental health. And then subsequently, her team released a statement saying she wouldn't be competing in Wimbledon. She talked a little bit more about her decision. She had some suggestions for how things can change in the future for athlete professional athletes as far as press and media requirements. Mm-hmm. I think the most interesting aspect of the essay is Naomi talked about how for people in regular jobs, you get sick days and you get personal days and you can take them. And usually you're not really questioned about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And she wonders mm-hmm. why that's not the same for professional athletes. She seems like she's a 
little frustrated with the fact that she had to share with the world that she has been dealing with depression and anxiety and didn't understand why she couldn't really keep that to herself and just say, Hey, I need some time. Like other people may be able to do in regular nine to fives. Yeah. I I see this here. She said, I felt under a great amount of pressure to disclose my symptoms, frankly, because the press and the tournament did not believe me. I did not wish that on anyone and hope that we can enact measures to protect athletes, especially the fragile Mm -hmm. ones. Yeah. She just, doesn't love doing press. She doesn't love doing interviews. She does mention, you know, she's given lengthy one-on-one interviews and even says that, you know, aside from some of the more seasoned pros like Serena and Nadal, she thinks she's been one of the most available athletes to the media over the past few years, but it's just not in her nature to be constantly under a magnifying lens and she just doesn't like it and thinks it doesn't really have anything to do with how talented she is on the court. Oh, my goodness, for sure. But we are going to get to see that, right? I mean, the plans are for her, like you said, to compete in the Olympics. Um, uh, are we hearing anything about like just her prep for that? Or, or did she get into like what she's doing now to to gear up for being out there again on the on, uh, on the main stage in the spotlight again? You know, I think behind the scenes, she's been training despite not being at Wimbledon and Fr- and the French Open. I think stepping away from those Grand Slam tournaments definitely probably afforded her more time to be training mm-hmm. and focusing just on competing on this stage. I think it'll be interesting. Some of the more high profile players are not going to be competing in the Olympics. So the playing field for Naomi, uh, who is, you know, the first Asian tennis player to be ranked number one by the WTA. So she is the among the best of the best and has been the number one world player. Um, but the competition is going to look a little different. Serena Williams isn't playing. Yeah. So, you know, and from America, Coco Goff is representing us. But in fact, several of the players that were offered positions on Team USA declined. So a lot of the athletes um, aren't participating. So it's going to be a different playing field. Let's talk about why. Okay, so so you are planning to head out. Um, let's take people into the behind the scenes a little bit about what that looks like to be able to even do this in this crazy year. You know, there's even calling it, I think, Olympics 2020 um, as kind of like a redo for last year with COVID and the pandemic and all of that. But take me through like what it's been like for you to even be able to go over there and then how tricky things are now, considering everything that's going on in Tokyo with the surge. It really has changed every single day for the last two years. We first were granted press credentials back in 2019. We're sending four uh, people staffers to Tokyo. It is a little overwhelming. Um, We're being tested twice before we leave the country. Then upon arrival at the airport, you're tested again. Then we'll quarantine for three days in a media hotel. So all of the media is in, I think it's like a group of five hotels. So we all are in one place. After we're quarantining for three days, we're tested again. And then Mm -hmm. only then if you're negative, can you start uh, going only to the Olympic Village and Olympic venues for the first 14 days that we're 
were there. Um, they did just announce today that there won't be any local spectators at events. Yeah, I saw that. I'm clear about what that means for us. I'm assuming that doesn't apply to the media. So hopefully we'll still be able to access all those venues. But before we even left a few weeks ago, we had to send a plan of every single place we expect to go to, every event wow. we expect to be at. So a lot of the difficulty of planning for this has been it's really up in the air and it's changed every day. Well, I am just wishing so safe travels and fun and really good sushi on you <laughs> for this you, trip. Yes. I, that's honestly, I'm more excited for the sushi <laughs> than anything else. Let's be honest. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lindsay. Thank you. Not too many people can pull off a pivot like Olympian Lolo Jones, one of only a few athletes who have competed in both the summer and winter games. She opened up to People's Johnny Dodd in this week's issue about her big move to bobsledding after the 2008 Olympics, but also the difficulties she's faced recently trying to return to track and qualify for Tokyo, given the pandemic and the games being postponed. Take a listen. I thought it was going to be my last Olympics. I mean, obviously... I know that I'm an older athlete and it would have been really hard for me to make that team. Not impossible, but really hard. So, you, I mean, uh, athletes age in dog years. We pretty much age like seven to one year, you know, like I was 37. Delaying it by a year as a younger athlete doesn't seem like that long. It's like, oh, it's only a year. But when you're at the end of your career, that one year feels like seven years because you have all these previous injuries, surgeries. And so I was just like, I don't know if I'll be able to truck it another year, you know, like this is, I put everything, all my last energies into this. And so that's when, you know, I went back to the old stomping uh, grounds of bobsled because it's not as hard on my body compared to the track workouts. The only way it's more difficult is if they crash me on ice. You, so you ran your last race in March, right? Yeah, it was funny because I was really stressed out trying to get all these races and to get the Olympic qualifying standard. I was trying to find all these little races, junior college races. And then all of a sudden, every race started to just uh, get canceled because of COVID. And it was like, okay, so how do I qualify for the Olympics if I can't even get a, uh, a race to run in? At first, we still had access to our facilities. We still had, I still had access to LSU. Well, then LSU shuts down because of COVID. So then we go to a high school. The high school shuts down because of COVID. So we just, I felt like we were cockroaches and we were just, we were just being driven to smaller and smaller spaces because <laughs> everything just kept getting closed. And then finally, we had no other options, but our coach was like, just train in your house. He was just like, we can't meet in groups anymore. Uh, so just train in your house. And I'm like, how do you train for the Olympics in your house? Like, am I supposed to hurdle over couches? Like this is, I mean, I'm used to like clearing hurdles by like less than, you know, a centimeter. And now you want me to hurdle over a couch. that's not even the same height. There's no track. There's no, I mean, but I did I, like all the other Olympians, we did abs in our workouts. We did Pilates. We just tried to stay in shape because at that point, the Olympics were not postponed or canceled. And then finally, when they did announce that it was going to be postponed. It took a huge relief off of us because, you know, we didn't have to feel like we were like, there were Olympians that were jumping fences to train, you know, they felt like they were putting their group at jeopardy to train, you know, but at the same time, they're also being told to stay ready for the Olympics. So once the IOC did the right thing, it took a lot of pressure off the athletes to break the rules, the COVID rules. 
Wow. And I mean, your thoughts on hurdling now, are you, are you, are you done? Or I think I read somewhere you said you, you were going to have to go out and run a really bad race and then you'd know you were, you were finished or. I feel like I, you know, obviously I'm focused on bobsled right now, but, um, I just feel I'll be in shape after the winter Olympics. I'll just have to lose, you know, some weight. And I would love to just run a race just to end my career in track a small college race, but just to say, but then who knows, maybe I'll just really be happy and just be ready to retire. <laughs> right. And, and also you started toying with the idea of going to Beijing back in 2019. Well, I always competed in summer and bobsled or summer and winter. So I really didn't take a break for a few years, but I toyed around with Beijing until I did not make the, the 2018 Olympic team. That was really hard on me. I, I gave it my all and it was very close between me and another person. They went with the other person and I was like, you know what? I've tried the bobsled thing. Maybe I'll just finish my career in track. And it wasn't until Kaylee Humphreys, she's the pilot for team USA. She has three Olympic gold medals DM'd me and asked me to come back to bobsled because after you face a heartbreak like that, it's, it's sometimes really hard to get motivated to, to put yourself back out there and, I told her like, look, for me to go back to bobsled would be like walking back into the lion's den. And so she reassured me that um, things would be different. So I was really excited about that. And here we are, we just won worlds this year together. So we became world champions. So it was, it was pretty awesome. Amazing. Uh, and, and maybe let's back up a little bit. Tell me how you got into bobsledding in the first place. And uh, I mean, did you grow up sledding in Iowa? I mean, the only sledding I did is probably like, you know, just kids on a sled down like a icy slope. But if you were to tell me I was going to be a bobsled athlete, there's absolutely no way. I just, I mean, the only thing I knew about bobsled was the movie Cool Running. Feel the rhythm. Feel the ride. Get on up. It's bobsled. And then also there's a track and field uh, athlete, Glenroy. He is the Team Canada head coach for track. Uh, and he also competed at LSU. Well, he actually competed in the summer games and then went on to compete in the winter Olympics as well. And he brings his team down to LSU every year to do like a track and field camp. And so just seeing him kind of out there on the track, kind of put these little seeds in the back of my head that like, Hey, if I'm burned out on track or if I didn't want to compete in track anymore, that bobsled would be a good way to go. But to be honest, cool runnings, like cool runnings definitely inspired me. I don't think, that without that movie, I would probably be sitting here just because you feel the pain in the movie of the athletes not making the Olympic team, frustrated, giving it their all and coming up short and then going into bobsled and inspiring a nation. Next up, another one of our staffers who's heading out to Tokyo soon, Adam Carlson sits down with figure skating legend and Olympic medalist, Michelle Kwan. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details.
We all met and fell in love with Michelle Kwan back in the late 90s and early 2000s when she just dominated figure skating. A five-time world champion and an Olympic medalist, she took home the silver medal in 98 and bronze in 2002. She became an American icon and someone everyone, but I'd say especially Asian Americans, could feel inspired by. Well, she's retired now, but she is still all about AAPI representation. People's Adam Carlson caught up with her as she promoted her new YouTube original series, Recipes for Change. It centers on spreading awareness and appreciation for Asian American food and culture. Listen in now to their chat about her iconic career and her thoughts on the games today, as well as recipes for change. I didn't know what to expect. You know, when you have seven of us at each dinner, we had three dinners all together um, and different hosts like Hassan Minhaj is one of the hosts. I was one of the hosts. It's, it's emotional. You know, I personally talked about my experiences with stereotypes. My parents immigrated to the United States in, in their early 20s. Um, my father experienced things such as, you know, people yelling at him, go back where you come from, you know, and it, it just hits me to the core because I was born here, born in Los Angeles, California. And this happened to my family. And, and to see the spike in violence and hate crimes, I think of oftentimes my, my own parents, you know, my mom and my aunts. And for example, my mom walking her dog, um, you know, alone. I, those are times where I, I second, you know, I think about things that are happening and I said, oh, this can happen to my family and, and how wrong that is. Um, so we had such emotional conversation. It was, it was, like you said, cathartic, but at the end of the day, it, it felt such a a comfortable and easy form to be able to discuss everything that's happening. And food is such a weirdly perfect medium for a conversation like this. You know, I, I, I hesitate to be reductive, but uh, culture is wrapped up in food. Community is wrapped up in food. It, it, it seemed exactly right once I heard that that's, you know, how this is structured. Well, especially for the Asian uh, American Pacific Islander community. It's surrounded by food. Personally, you know, I grew up, uh, my family owned a Chinese restaurant in Torrance, California, and everything was always around a meal. And, and this was an opportunity to really sit down, have a, have a wonderful meal. We had uh, incredible chefs at each meal and, and discussing, you know, the, the cuisine, um, which always lights up everyone's faces. We had lobster, <laughs> We had, I mean, I was in the back in the kitchen helping with Chef Jet Tila as he was like literally talking to me and cutting through a live lobster and oh my just going in, in the walk and just like, <laughs> and the lobster, the, everything was moving. And, but, but when we sat down and uh, Chef Jet Tila explained the meal and I, I had the sort of intro and, and talking about what we were going to do and having the conversation and we had little questions at each table. And, and some were easy conversation starters, um, but this meal could have gone on for hours and hours and hours. And you're hosting the meal, so I don't want to put you on the spot and make you be the star of a conversation with a bunch of other people. But I have to assume you shared some of your experiences. I mean, you have been in the public eye for decades, and you've been in the public eye as an Asian woman at a time when I don't think we saw many Asian women, especially Asian figure skaters, Asian athletes. Um, what kind of experiences did you feel moved to share? Well, one of the stories, uh, one of the things that, you know, happened to me 
when I was 17 years old. And, you know, this was the, the height of my athletic career, if you will. You know, I competed at the, at the Olympic Games in 1998. Uh, I was already two-time world champion, you know, really doing really, really well in my athletic career. And I was at the Olympic Games and I, I remember the headline after I ended up taking home the silver medal was American beats Quan because American skater won. And I, I didn't know what, I was like, wait, do they know that I'm an American as well? Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing we were talking about, like stereotypes. It's, it, it can be very, very hurtful. And these words, these mistakes um, can really be a problem um, and add to the systemic racism in our country. And, you know, there comes a time where we say, this is not okay. And you can imagine in 1998, I mean, I was 17 years old. I had really didn't understand, first of all, it was like, it was a mistake, clearly, and they fixed it. And the API, you know, community, you can imagine, was an uproar. I had no words really at that time. Um, but looking back, it's it it's an issue. You know, it perhaps it goes into the area of like perpetual foreigner just because yeah. your last name doesn't sound it sounds foreign that you're a foreigner. You know, throughout the conversation, I was like laughing at times when someone said to me, Your English, you speak so well. And I was like, you're probably thinking that I'm not from here. I'm like, I'm born and raised. Right. I'm all American. <laughs> like yeah. Then you go into like a, a long conversation about like explaining how your parents immigrated or, or when people ask you, you know, where, where are you really from? I'm like, LA. <laughs> LA. <laughs> so it's one of those things where there's so much to be done. And it's one of the things that now at our fingertips, you know, we're all influencers. We all, you know, whether you're on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or, you know, on a podcast, there's a way to be able to have these conversations. And oftentimes they're not easy conversations, but they're important ones to have. So I want to switch to a little bit of a lighter note before we wrap up. Uh, we are just a few weeks away from the Olympics. You obviously have a lot of familiarity with the Olympics. Give us a little bit of a behind the scenes. What are the athletes preparing to do right now? Like, where are they? What is it like to be in those in those days right before you're about to compete on the world stage, go out for the, op the opening ceremonies, the whole thing? Like, uh, do you, I'm sure you remember what it's like for you. Yes, I remember it too vividly. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I When I was competing and training for the Olympics, I never had one dream about skating. Not one. Maybe because it just consumed <laughs> my everyday, like, yeah. my, my being. But now I dream about as if I'm, like, lacing up my skates. And, like, for some reason my laces break and I can't make it to the ice. And it, everything's at stake. <laughs> Well, I could tell you that all the athletes that are training and qualifying, they are so regimented and they've got their trainers, whether that's trainers, coaches, and then their support team. It could be, you know, in my case, I had a, a great trainer. I had a choreographer. I had, you know, somebody who made my costumes. I had, I had a huge team. So you can only imagine this entire team working together for the same goal. And, you know, some, like I have a, a friend, my friend, Alison Felix, mm -hmm. uh, 
yes, I, I was so proud of her, you know, fifth time making, fifth time making it to the Olympic games as a mom too. Um, and having her qualify is yeah. incredible, but she's so focused, focused on what she has to do, you know, the task at hand and every athlete talks about the tunnel vision. Yeah. Well, that's, that's it. They're watching every moment they're counting down. It's nerve wracking. It just ooh, makes me. <laughs> I literally like I'm exhausted just listening. You list a lot of stuff out. I'm like, oh my god, being an Olympian is so exhausting. Um, but the fun thing is, you know, when when you do end up qualifying and you end up, you know, being named to the team, uh, that you have exciting things. You have like Team USA gear that you're, you know, from head to toe. They give yeah. you, you know, that for me it was a, a beret in Salt Lake City in 2002. It's such a time where. You're having excitement, your family, your fans, everything is, everything is coming, you know, at one moment. And it's this time that you've been thinking about, not just for the last four years, but your entire life, it seems. And what's one thing that you didn't realize when you went to the Olympics that you would tell them about going to the Olympics now? It's all a surprise. You know, the first <laughs> Olympics, uh, they try to prepare you for every little thing from, you know, the experience at the Olympic Village, which now with everything, with all the social media, yeah. you kind of get an insight of, of what happens in the Olympic Village. But it's kind of like Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> but I, I, I think everything is a surprise. The enormity of the opening ceremonies gives your first taste of what you're walking into. That was Adam Carlson interviewing Michelle Kwan. For more on her, head over to people.com. And now something Olympics related to make you smile. A first timer to the games is sharing how she transformed her Olympic dreams into reality. 26-year-old Kwanisha Burks secured a spot on the USA women's high jump team with an impressive jump of 22 feet, 10 inches. The University of Alabama alum who once worked at McDonald's and is the first in her family to go to college says she manifested her athletic accomplishments. Take a listen. I will be an Olympian. I'm going to be an Olympian. Today is the day. I told you. I'm an Olympian. So she posted that video on TikTok and it's received over 300,000 views in four days. Now, Manifestation 2.0 is in motion because Kwanisha says she is really looking forward to getting on the podium in Tokyo. As my mom always says, speak it into existence. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> 